0: In the world of
1: freedom, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev,
2: tear down this wall. This
3: is Radio Goethe magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe magazine. I'm Arndt Peltner. In today's show we have a tour through a world cultural heritage building and we hear a bit about German immigration. So stay tuned. But first the news. Radio Goethe magazine. The news with Nina Paula.
1: Berlin. Germans have to pay for a huge spike in energy prices. The German Statistics Office revealed now that energy prices have jumped by over 50% in the last six years. In 2002, the average household spent 172 euros per month on heating and electricity. This year, the average monthly bill is 267 euros. The cost of petrol and diesel has seen a similar spike in prices. Six years ago, the average German household spent 68 and today 105 euros per month. Berlin a massive scandal regarding the trade with private data widens in Germany. Addresses of the entire German population are out in the open to be used for marketing and selling products, a data expert said. He added that about 10 to 20 million bank account details are also illegally out in the open and are mainly used by call centers for dubious business practices, including telephone sales of lotter subscriptions and sweepstake contests. German politicians have meanwhile called for changes to the current laws to protect private data. Berlin Long-term unemployed people now get training to work with Demented. The new German project could create up to 10,000 new jobs in the healthcare sector. The German Federal Labor Office has now started offering training courses for interested long-term unemployed who receive some 160 hours of instruction to be able to work with patients. Geriatric care experts are outraged by the proposal. They say that care assistants need to have at least 900 hours of training. Berlin Berlin's most famous World War II ruin is threatened by collapse. Now a range of people, including soccer players, are trying to preserve the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church on Kurfürstendamm. The church was destroyed by a British bombing raid in World War II. All that remained was its gaping ruined tower. Traffic vibrations has caused its walls to crumble, with chunks threatening to fall off onto pedestrians below. The tower must remain as a reminder for future generations of the horrors of war, one of the members of Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church Foundation said. Rügen. The humpback whale, sighted in recent days along Germany's Baltic coastline, still hasn't managed to find his way back to the safety of the North Atlantic. Now Greenpeace is getting ready to help him. Environmentalists say time is getting critical and that the whale is having trouble nourishing itself. The humpback whale could die if it doesn't find its way back to the saltier and nutrient-richer North Sea.
3: last week our radio goethe reporter nina paula took us on a trip through cologne but when she was there she was also fascinated by the city's landmark the Cologne Cathedral. In 1996, this unique church has been named as World Cultural Heritage by the UNESCO. Nina Paula talked to Sabine Psykala, an art historian who leads tourist groups through the cathedral almost every day.
1: I'm going by railway to meet Sabine Psykala in front of Cologne Cathedral. This amazing church stands directly beside the main station of Cologne, where all the trains arrive and leave. And even my train stops here. The cathedral is the third biggest gothic church in the world, after cathedral of Sevilla in Spain and the cathedral of Milan in Italy. From 1880 until 1884 it was the highest building of the world. Sabine Psycala works here for about four years now. When she came here for her studies, she was so fascinated about this building that she tried to get a job here. I asked her what keeps her so fascinated about the cathedral. Well, I just,
0: I just think it's such an impressive building you have to keep in mind that it's about 760 years old now and I'm always impressed by the splendor and this huge cathedral that just embraces you when you get in and that people for so long are fascinated by this building and always attracted by this building and I just love it (laughs) How often are you in there? Well I'm doing tours nearly each day each day and you are still fascinated. I'm still fascinated. There are so many aspects that you, that you don't see and every day there's something new that you can discover over there, some small details or something like that that you didn't notice before and so it never gets boring to do these to do this guided tours and this job.
1: So then it will be perhaps hard for you to tell me the thing which is the most fascinating one in the cathedral for you. Well, I
0: think I do have um, favorites
1: over there. Well, on one hand,
0: it's the Crucifix of Giro, which is that old, 1,035 years old now, and which is such an impressive artwork. I always wonder how people uh, so long ago were able to to create something overwhelming like that. And I also like the choir stars because they um, are decorated with so many carvings that on one hand do show... um, episodes from the bible but you'll also find um real life things like small couples kissing and knights fighting and some people say maybe it was something like medieval entertainment for the members of the clergy who had to assemble seven times a day to pray over there and so they also had to have something to look at and to laugh about and there are so many cute figures spreaded over these choir stalls i just love it
1: <laughs> what uh, could you describe the um the, the crucifix for those who cannot see this wonderful thing
0: Well, on one hand, the Crucifix of Giro is a very huge and monumental crucifix and it's often described as the oldest monumental figure of the crucified Christ that is still in existence in Northern Europe. And, yeah, it's such a realistic way of showing a human body that also artisans one or three centuries later didn't get near to. And I'm always fascinated by this this artwork.
1: The Cologne Cathedral is the third biggest gothic church in the world. Um, What is so specific about this building and the architecture?
0: Well, it has a very long architectural history for about 632 years, um, but it looks as if it was finished in medieval times. And this is something special because normally um, um, buildings that have such a long architectural history were often built in the um, in the uh, taste of the uh, century, normally, and this cathedral looks a little bit like it was finished during medieval times, but it wasn't. Most of the things were finished during the 19th century when it was chosen as as a national monument because people during these years believed that the Gothic architectural style was invented in Germany and therefore they chose it as a kind of national monument because it's going to be a very huge cathedral and a very impressive one and the towers Uh, with the highest buildings in the world during these years and so it was yeah chosen as a national monument to represent the new strength of, of and sense of unity that was completely lost during the occupation of the french troops to symbolize the strength of the prussian empire and so on
1: so it's not just fascinating if you're inside the cathedral it's makes you just say wow when you come out of the uh, station and see this huge building. Well, yeah, I also do uh, see the towers from from my uh,
0: window at home and every time when I see them I just think I'm blessed to work there.
1: Um, It has been named uh, as World Cultural Heritage in 1996 and what does this mean for Cologne? Well, for Cologne, I think Cologne Cathedral
0: has always been some kind of landmark of the city um, and to become world heritage, it's, it's appropriate for the cathedral because um, there are also so many people busy working over there and you can imagine that it's also very expensive and so on and so we do have the
1: support from this kind of foundation, yeah it's the most popular site in Europe. Why do you think is that? Why is it so popular?
0: Well I think it's it's the size and the age and if you do travel to Cologne every souvenir just has these two small towers on it and I think it just became something like a symbol for the whole city and this is why people just, just want to visit this this, this cathedral is the largest Gothic church in Germany, so this is also attractive, I think. Yeah, I think these are the main reasons.
1: So when we were in now, um, there were a lot of people, but it's still a church. It
0: is. Yeah, but sometimes uh, uh, people seem to forget that the, uh, that Cologne Cathedral is still a church, because when you tell them that the apse is closed because there are confessions going on, then they're really disappointed because they want to see everything over there, everything that is important. But you have to keep in mind that it is still a church and that it's going to be used as a church. And I think in the evening hours when the, um, the people are preparing the masses and the services, then you can imagine what the original aim of the uh, builders were the people who yeah, just built the cathedral was. So it's still possible to marry here? It is, it's possible to marry over there and there are also um, masses each day, the noon prayer, especially, where you can also hear the organ play and where everyone is invited to also just want to visit the cathedral and so that you get an idea of what the cathedral originally was made for.
1: So the cathedral is very old and has a very long and moving history it was parts of the church were all also used as a, a prison
0: yeah, during the occupation of the French troops, the uh, sanctuary was used as a prison because it was separate, separated by a very huge wall from from the rest of the cathedral. That accords to this long history of, of the building, and um, yeah, the um, the capital of the archdiocese was Aachen during these years, so a city near Cologne, and so they didn't need such a huge catholic cathedral and then the french use it on one hand as a prison and on the other hand as a warehouse
1: and there is still uh, there's another quite <laughs> impressive thing i think the mosaic could you tell something about that for everyone who could not see that well the mosaic the floor mosaic of the uh, apse.
0: Is the largest artwork of the whole cathedral. It covers more than 1,350 square meters. And it's just all these small, small, small stones. You can just imagine uh, how much work it was. And yeah, it tells, it tells many stories. On one hand, it tells the history of the Archdiocese of Cologne by showing Cologne bishops and archbishops or mentioning their names. And you also do have uh, stories of from the Bible or something like that. And during the 19th century, when the cathedral was finished, the people also wanted to decorate the apse in a new way, and so it was decided to create this floor mosaic. And some people don't recognize that this is quite an artwork. So you can also find chewing gums spread over these small um, stones over there. And I always wonder why people do not recognize the. Yeah, this wonderful, this wonderful artwork. They're just walking over it and just don't thinking about that. This was so, so much work. This is sad. It is, yeah. But as I mentioned before, many people don't um, or forget that the cathedral is not only an attraction, a tourist tourist attraction. It's, it's still a church, and sometimes you see people eating or using their mobile phones or something like that. And this is really sad that they really seem to forget that this is... But it is forbidden to, to use a mobile phone. It is, but some people don't care about that.
1: I even saw uh, the patron of headache. You told something about that. Could you repeat that? Well, yeah, it's
0: St. Jiren. It's one of the patrons of the city because he was murdered here in Cologne. Uh, Jiren was a member of the Theban Legion, and under Diocletian uh, he suffered his his martyrdom here in Cologne um, because he denied to persecute the Christians and therefore he was beheaded and therefore the people also chose him as the patron against headache, because if you do not have a head, you do not have headache anymore, and this is something like all these legends according to the saints also do have funny aspects. So, and I always mention that because that makes people smile and this also, they are also keeping these stories in mind and I want them to take something with them and not only to, to uh, tell the people at home that they visited the Cologne Cathedral but that yeah, they also get, a, get an idea of this very special
1: place. The people of Cologne, it's typical for Cologne that um, there's always a funny aspect, it is it? Yeah, well the Cologne people are very uh, funny
0: ones. Because if you come here in February and you'll see how they are celebrating carnival or something like that, well, this is something of the uh, special mentality of the people. And so I think this is also the the reason why some of these anecdotes or stories according to the saints do have these funny aspects.
1: For uh, those who are now very interested to come here, um, how, how often do you guide the tours here, how, how does this work? Well, there are public guided tours each day at 10.30 and
0: 2.30, and it's also possible to book special tours if you're interested in something special. Perhaps you do want to know something about the windows or something like that, Then uh, there are also special tours that you can book here in the uh, Dom Forum. And you could book it on the internet too? Well, there's a, yeah, we do have an appearance on the internet which is just doomforum.de, and there you can get further information.
1: So if you ever have the chance to visit Cologne, don't miss a walk through Cologne Cathedral. Never before I have seen such an impressive artwork.
2: Padre, et filii, et spiritus Sancti.
3: Bremerhaven is a small city in northern Germany, but the town is famous on both sides of the Atlantic. Bremerhaven was the beginning for many, many Germans to leave the country and to come with hopes and dreams to America. The German Immigration Center documents the history and the struggle of millions of Germans who left their home to find a new home in the New World. I talked to the director of the museum. Dr. Simone Eich. Mrs. Eich, why is the German Immigration Center?
4: Um, I think it's because it's a very um, um, emotional uh, theme and um, it is something that in Germany um, was always um, up to date to say um, people coming to Germany and They are leaving and um, in Bremerhaven we are showing the immigration from 1830 to 1974, the historical migration. And we are showing the migration today. So we want to show migration as a um, theme that everybody um, is interested in.
3: The museum was opened in 2005. Why so late?
4: That's because it's not so easy to build a museum, and you need a lot, lot of money. And um, the idea to build such a museum in Bremerhaven is uh, 20 years old, and um, but it took 20 years to um, yeah, persuade everybody that it's important to build such a museum in the biggest uh, immigration port of Germany, and that is Bremerhaven.
3: Who's visiting the museum?
4: Um, everybody. <laughs> and. Um, we see that uh, a lot of pupils are coming to us and uh, a lot of uh, senior people um, family um, researcher are coming and um, so we have in the last 10 months we have um, over 200,000 visitors and a lot of families come and because we are a sea museum uh, it's not only that we are um, uh, only for intellectual people we are, it's a museum for everybody.
3: It is not just a museum in the classical sense. It invites the visitors to participate. Could you describe this a bit?
4: Um, it's a hand-on, where you can put your hands on everything in our museum. and. Um We are are trying to um, set the people in the situation the um, immigrants were in the 19th century. So we have um, a sailing ship, the steerage of a sailing ship, and we have the third class of a liner from 1929. And um, we have the farewell situation on the quay. And um, that's the most uh, uh, emotional point in the museum. That's the point people start crying. And um, yes, so we, are, we have uh, rebuilt something from Ellis Island, from the um, immigration station Ellis Island. So um, that's the historical tour. And um, I think the idea was to say, um, if you can feel the situations, you can understand the people better.
3: How did you find all these stories of immigrants?
4: Um, we were doing research for three years and um, at the moment we uh, went to the public Um, a lot of people come to us and tell their stories so that's the way it still goes on
3: and where did you get all those original exhibits from
4: Um, from the united states and from germany a lot of people um, came back to germany and so they spent um, their suitcases their documents their pictures um, to the museum uh, and the donations um, are from the United States. we Yes, we have something from Texas, we have something from Cleveland, uh, all over the United States. We have cooperation with the Ellis Island Museum, and um, I think um, the network will grow. Um, we are very young at the moment, and I think uh, it will take some time to um, um, build up a network like that.
3: Mrs. Ike, how did the people on Ellis Island react when you came up with a plan for a museum like this in Bremerhaven?
4: They were very, um, yeah, um, they think it's very good. And um, we are both saying we are the bookend of Ellis Island. And um, so we did uh, some exhibitions together and it's the way people, um, the journey of the migrants, They come to Bremerhaven and then they um, landed at Ellis Island. So that's the way the immigrants went to the new world and that's something we want to rebuild with Ellis Island today.
3: I'm talking to Dr. Simone Eich, the director of the German Immigration Center. Mrs. Eich, leaving your country is more than just stepping onto a ship. How do you deal with these issues of leaving your life behind in the exhibition?
4: I tried to do that for 10 years now and I think um, all of the uh, immigrants were very um, strong people and they were very, uh, they had a dream and um, that's what um, fascinates me still today that they um, yeah, went to, to make their dream life alive and that's, yeah, that's something um, very emotional.
3: When was the biggest emigration flow through Bremerhaven?
4: That was um, between 1888 and to the First World War. That was a time not only Germans uh, came to Bremerhaven, but also people from Eastern European states like Russia and um, Czechoslovakia. So um, they were very mixed here in Bremerhaven. There were Germans and there were East European people.
3: How was it for the people in Bremerhaven that the city became famous just for the emigration?
4: Uh, I think, and that's that's something you can still feel today, Bremerhaven is, uh, is a city of farewell. And it was a city of farewell for 140 years. And um, the people in Bremerhaven always stayed behind. So um, that's... Um, if you live here in Bremerhaven, it's very interesting to see how how the people are still uh, interested in their in the history of this very young city, but um, they are very proud of it.
3: What brought you to this museum? What is your background?
4: Um, I'm a historian. Um, I did my PhD about migration, and um, I worked in a museum, and then. Um, there was a time that this, the concept for this museum was made in Hamburg from Studio Andreas Heller. And uh, so I worked with colleagues on the concept and that was, was very interesting because we were not only uh, scientists, we were uh, designers, we were architects. So that was a very, two, very um, interesting two years to build this museum.
3: This is not a federal or state-funded museum. Can you describe this a bit? Um,
4: It's the only museum in Germany that is um, without any help from the state. And so um, we are a private museum and we are a typical private-public partnership project. So um, the city of Bremerhaven and the state of Bremen... um, gave the money for the museum and after the opening uh, last August, um, we were um, then from a company, um, a company um, yeah,
3: Sponsor. sponsored the museum. You're dealing every day with emigration. Have you ever thought about emigrating?
4: Yes, I, I thought about it. Um, there was a time when I did my PhD, there was a chance to stay in Chicago. and. But I didn't um, do it because if I had done it, I had to um, made a um, master in the United States. And that was two years. So I thought, no, okay, I go back to Germany.
3: Do you see this museum as part of the German-American history?
4: I think it's um, very important because um, the German-Americans, um, the numbers of them in the United States are um, 30... Five millions. So that's a lot of people and um, I don't think it's important to say that they are German-Americans but I, I think it's important to say there's a connection between Europe and the United States and that there's a history that belongs to both. And that's something in this world with the globalization today, it's very important I think um, to have a look at the roots.
3: Are you trying to reach Americans and German emigrants abroad to come to Bremerhaven?
4: We have uh, a colleague that is only um, doing uh, advertisement in the United States. So we are trying um, to convince the um, Americans to come here. I I know that Neuschwanstein and Munich is very attractive, but the north of Germany is very attractive too. And... um, I think for everybody who wants to do a research for his own roots and have a look where their ancestors left Europe, my um, and the German Immigration Center as a destination.
3: That was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Thanks for listening and please find us online at radiogoethe.org. i I'm Arndt Peltner. We're all
2: we